everybody, how's it going? Welcome. Happy Sunday. Please stand and worship with us.
Please be seated. <clears throat> and now for the conclusion of the tale of the two sisters, Princess Olga and Princess Inga. Did you say we're going to finish the story today? We have to. It's our last day, so we have to finish up. Oh, I don't know. There's an awful lot of story left. Maybe we should just tell everybody to go see that movie. No! It's a completely different story. We can do this. We just gotta move fast. Are you sure? Yes. We can do this. We just have to hurry. Read fast. Oh, read, read fast. Oh, uh, 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 oh, okay. Olga was living in the wilderness. Ah, uh, but Inga loved her sister and decided to go after. There was also a prince. Of s oh, here he is. <clears throat> yes, he offered to go with her, but Inga asked him to stay behind and watch the kingdom for her. So Inga went off in search of her sister alone. And there was this other guy with a reindeer and a snowman. We, we don't have anybody else. Okay, well then Inga, just scratch that. Inga went off alone. Uh, eventually, she reached her sister's icy palace. But Olga was frightened, and she wanted Inga to go away. So uh, she created a snow monster. Okay. And it scared her off. So Inga left, and she came back. But so then the prince wanted to go get Olga. We don't have time for that part. So the prince came back. But wait, he's supposed to go find Olga and bring her back here. Olga! Come here. Come on, come on, come on, come on. Okay. Faster. Okay, now what? Uh, 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 okay. So uh, then we all thought Olga was a bad guy because she froze Inga's heart. I did, I did what now? You forgot to read that part. <sighs> Sorry, I've been kind of busy. Okay, uh, but anyway, <laughs> it turns out that the prince was the bad guy. Wait, what? Yes, you're evil, and, and you wanted to slay Olga, but Inga sacrifices herself for her sister, proving that love is stronger than any other power, the end. You know, love is pretty great. It is. Especially the way God loves us. You're right. We've been in here telling our story when we should be out there telling the story of how God loves everyone. Let's go. Wait, God loves everyone? Of course. Even me? But I'm the bad guy. Even you. Come on, we'll tell you all about it. <laughs> and they lived happily ever after. Hold on, you're going to need a narrator! Shepherds and wise men aren't the only ones who got to meet the baby Jesus and experience the love and power of God face to face. There were others. The Bible recounts that when Jesus was still a baby, Mary and Joseph took him to the temple in Jerusalem to be consecrated to the Lord in accordance with Jewish custom. But it turned out to be far from your customary consecration. On the eighth day, when it was time to circumcise the child, he was named Jesus, the name the angel had given him before he was conceived. When the time came for the purification rites required by the law of Moses, Joseph and Mary took him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every firstborn male is to be consecrated to the Lord and to offer a sacrifice in keeping with what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of doves or two young pigeons. Now there was a man in Jerusalem called Simeon, who was righteous and devout. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was on him. 
It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Messiah. Moved by the Spirit, he went into the temple courts. When the parents brought the child Jesus to do for him what the custom of the law requested, Simeon took him in his arms and praised God, saying, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you may now dismiss your servant in peace. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all nations, a light for revelation to the Gentiles, and the glory of your people Israel. The child's father and mother marveled at what was said about him. Then Simeon blessed them and said to Mary his mother, This child is destined to cause the falling and rising of many in Israel, and to be a sign that will be spoken against, so that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed, and a sword will pierce your own soul too. There was also a prophet, Anna, the daughter of Penuel, of the tribe of Asher. She was very old. She had lived with her husband seven years after her marriage, and then was a widow until she was 84. She never left the temple, but worshipped night and day, fasting and praying. Coming up to them at that very moment, she gave thanks to God and spoke about the child to all who were looking forward to the redemption of Jerusalem. Luke 2, 21-38. Proclaim the name of Jesus. This story is meant to be shared. It has been from the beginning. The prophet Isaiah shared it with the people of Israel hundreds of years before Christ was even born. On the night of his birth, the angel shared it with the shepherds. After meeting Jesus, the Bible says that the shepherds shared it with whoever would listen. Simeon and Anna shared it in the temple courts of Jerusalem. And now it's our turn to proclaim the name of Jesus. We thank our Heavenly Father who sent his son to earth as a baby. And we remember who this child became. We celebrate the one who died for us and saved us from our sins. We joyfully acknowledge all that Christ has done in our lives. We proclaim the name of Jesus. The Lord Almighty is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Come and see what the Lord has done, the desolations he has brought on this earth. He makes war cease to the ends of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the shields with fire. He says, be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord Almighty is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Psalms 46, 7 through 11. Oh. 
It's like Whoville just blew up in here. <laughs> Love those. Good morning, everyone. Oh, wait, I got to blow these out real quick. <sighs> you didn't see anything. You didn't see any of that. <laughs> I said they're well, more well-behaved than some of the adult groups we have to get on and off this stage. <laughs> well, this is our, our fourth week of Advent, as many of you know. Um, we've, we've already lit the candles of hope, of peace, and of love. And this week, we'll be lighting the candle of joy. And where are my candle lighters? This oh, here they are. Hi, Ariel. Come on up, guys. Right over here, buddy. How are you guys? Awesome. In the Old Testament, the word joy is nearly always associated with an act of God, and even more specifically with an act of God delivering his people. The people of Israel found themselves in need of God's deliverance on more than one occasion, if you recall. When they were enslaved in Egypt, God sent them free. As they traveled to the promised land, God provided approved to the Israelites over and over again that he was far stronger and more powerful than the enemy nations who opposed them. Remember, they didn't even know what they were going to eat from day to day, and he provided them uh, manna from heaven. When the nation of Israel was carried off into captivity of the Babylonians, again they cried out to God to rescue them, and God delivered them and brought them back to Jerusalem. Each time they were rescued, the Israelites were joyful and rejoiced in God's love for them. But each time, they soon forgot God's deliverance and turned away from him. In a cold and dirty stable in the small, unimportant town of Bethlehem, God delivered his people. This time, however, it was not just for a time, not just until the next warring nation came across the river. This time, it was forever, for eternity. God sent his son to deliver his people, not just from enemies who threatened them, but from the sin that separated them from himself. And we can imagine the joy on the faces of the shepherds as they made their way to the stable. We can almost see the joy on the faces of the wise men who traveled great distances to find this new king. And we can feel the radiant joy of Simeon and Anna in the temple as they faced the Savior. God sent himself to bring us life and never-ending joy. And today, as we celebrate Advent, we think of joy. Let us not forget, let us remember to live each day in the joyful knowledge and understanding of what God has done for us. We are delivered. How can we not be joyful? Let, let us pray. Heavenly Father, sometimes we don't show joy this time of the year. Sometimes joy eludes us. But let us remember as we think back that we no longer have to be a slave to sin, that we are no longer held in captivity. We're no longer in bondage to iniquity, Lord, and trespass. But because of what you did, sending your own son to be born in this backwater town, in a manger, with no pomp, no circumstance, just to turn the world on its head, so that we can know joy, not only now, Lord, but we can know joy in the world to come, a joy that passes all understanding. We thank you. In your holy name we pray. Amen. Thank you, guys. You're welcome. You did a great job.
Okay, just got the cue. It's time to have our announcements this morning. On the way in, you probably saw um, a couple of tables out there. Um, we're trying to spread the joy year-round, and one of the ways we do this is by this, this beast feast that we have, and there's tickets for sale out there. Um, they've got some really great causes that they support. Last year, I think it was $35,000 they raised through these raffle tickets and through this, uh, this, um, this feast they have every year where they, they serve up all kinds of wild beasts like giraffe and alligator. And you know the giraffe one's a real long rack of ribs, real big rack of ribs. You can't miss it. No, I don't think they killed any giraffes this year. Maybe Evan shot a lion. That's what dentists do from what I understand. So a touchy point for some people out there you can buy the tickets also cr is holding their bake sale yeah this is what we all needed a couple extra pounds make sure you pick yours up on the way out the less you the more you eat the less i have to so uh grab some of that on the way out that supports uh, of course celebrate recovery hey and that's the one of our uh, our longest running ministries and i want to let you know that we were looking at the budget and how much they spent this year they're almost completely self-sufficient uh, and, 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 and it's not like they just, they do everything real cheap. They do, they do do that, but they're also sending 10 people to this big summit that costs thousands and thousands of dollars, and they're able to pay their own way because of the kind donations that you guys give um, every, uh, every time they have a big sale. So thank you for supporting that. Don't forget to fill out your communication cards inside your bulletin. If you're new, if you're visiting us, there's a long, skinny piece of paper. Fill that out if you wouldn't mind. If you're a second-time guest, please fill it out again. We want to get you plugged in, and we want to get to know you. And if you're a first-time guest, you're going to get a great gift in the mail, too, so you don't want to miss out on that opportunity. As always, use the communication card to communicate anything that you want us to know about, that we uh, uh, change an address, praise report, whatever you want to put on there. We'd be glad to hear from you, so make sure you do that. And the big news, of course, we have church on Saturday this week coming up. So in six short days is Christmas Eve. We're going to have two services on Saturday night as opposed to Sunday morning. So come Saturday night. Come for the first service if you're regular. Come for the second service and stay and help us uh, greet all the people. Um, we want this place to be filled up because it's so beautiful when we do the candlelight setting. So if you wouldn't mind, grab a couple of those uh, Invitations on the way out. They're at the resource table, that round uh, red area over there. Just grab a couple of those. Give them to your friends. Give them to your family. Get them in here on Christmas Eve. Let's start their journey, especially those of you who have friends and family, and we all do, who aren't yet believers. Let's bring them in here so we can pray for them so the Holy Spirit can work in their hearts on Christmas and so they can walk away believers. So uh, we thank you for coming. We're going to dismiss the kids who aren't already at Kids Church. I think most of them are there. But if you haven't already gotten to Kids Church, go do that now. And for the adults, we're going to stay and worship just a little bit more. So to honor him, but...
Seat. Thanks for coming. Jeff always gives me this great thing. I always forget when he's here. He gives me this awesome thing of water. Thank you, Jeff. Am I supposed to drink it through this, or did I take this part of This is like a straw protector. Is that what that is? It's so fancy. Ooh, I saw that. I saw nothing. Joel keeps trying to get me to buy, like, he's like, look at these ultralight um, uh, pulpits. And I'm like, why do you want me to get that? And then I finally figured out, well, I don't have to carry that thing out every week, so I can understand. Um, Pastor Floyd was supposed to be out here at this point to, um, he was actually supposed to come out during that song, Dressed as the Little Drummer Boy. Um, But he conveniently went out of town to go see his family. I uh, know that he's watching right now, 
And we will expect that next week. We're singing the song on Christmas. And I keep hearing this jingling. It's like jingle bells. It's fantastic. I love that sound. But uh, we're going to take up the offering here. Before we do, I um, just want to let you know that uh, we've, we've had a really good year for giving. Um, but uh, during the months of October and November, those were our big giving years, uh, giving months. And that's because, you know, because our dividends are coming out. And uh, we, 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 everybody's dividend got cut in half. We know, we understand how that works. Um, it ended up uh, being about a $35,000 hole in the budget for that month uh, because of that. So if you found yourself at the end of the year with a little bit extra um, and you would like to um, uh, see that go to a good cause, we, we, we pray um, and that you come alongside of us. And, and help us out fill that uh, so we can end the, uh, end the year on, a, on an up note. But uh, uh, we, of course, pray for uh, Lord Heavenly Father for everything that we've given, we've been given. Um, it all comes from you, our very breath. Our walk comes from you. Um, uh, we, we live in a world, we toil through this world, and we work, um, often we work to, to buy things that we think will give us uh, happiness. Uh, these things are temporary. Um, but Lord, we like to give back with our first fruits because we know that we're praying, we're paying to uh, the way for the uh, the gospel to be able to be spread throughout this valley. In fact, and throughout the world, in a lot of cases, Lord. So um, we thank you, and we ask that this money gets um, to where it needs to go. In Jesus' name, we pray. Amen. And uh, it's the it's the last week of Advent, and it's a bummer. I love this this time of year. And we started doing Advent, celebrating it here, just a couple of years ago, about three years ago. Um, and, and the idea, believe it or not, was, um, I mean, it's been around for a long time. A lot of liturgical churches, you know, Lutheran Church, Catholic Church, Episcopal Church, they've, they've, been, they've been practicing Advent for a long time. And I'll tell you a little bit about that in a, in a moment. But the reason we started doing it here was because we wanted people to not just celebrate Christmas, when we do those cool candlelight Christmas services um, on Christmas Eve, it's awesome. It's great, but we, and everybody walks around there. And people are holding doors for people, and they're, they're helping people out. And you see it. I was at, even at Barnes & Noble. People were nice to each other. There was huge long lines, and nobody was getting on each other's backs. And, 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 and it was fantastic. And even, even Uncle Scrooge was there. It was fantastic. Everybody was having a good time. But we want that. We wanted that to stretch. We wanted us to give us time as a congregation to be able to think about what it means, what it meant for Jesus Christ to come into this world over an extended period of time. And what a better way to do that than to spend some time with each other for the four weeks leading up to Christmas thinking about the concepts, thinking about these words, thinking about the words hope, thinking about the word peace and love. Enjoy, and you know that actually Advent is meant to be celebrated, not the first coming. We do that. We always think back. We go back to what it must have been like there in Bethlehem, and it's all crowded because there's a big census going on, and everybody has to come to their hometown, and there's no place to sleep, and and Jesus is in a, born in a barn with no pomp and circumstance. And we think about that. We but Advent. Believe it or not, that was the first coming. Advent's supposed to be celebrated to think about the what? The second coming. 
That's true. We think we're supposed to be thinking about when Jesus comes again. He's already been here once and we live in that unique period of time, right? In between the two advents and we're so lucky. We're not like any other people on the face of the earth that have ever lived. For thousands of years, they, they didn't have the Messiah. They didn't even know what the Messiah was. And so the words hope, peace, joy, and love meant something completely different to the people in the Old Testament than it does to us here today, here in the middle. We have the benefit of hindsight, right? We look, it's so funny, we read the Old Testament and even part of the New Testament leading up to when Jesus dies on the cross, we look at all these people and we're like, you idiots, you guys didn't see this? I mean, come on, I would have saw this, right? We would have saw it, right? You know, we have the benefit of hindsight. We can look at Isaiah and go, come on, it's pretty clear. He's talking about the whole time, you know? Abraham, why didn't you get it? David, why didn't you get it? You guys should have saw this the whole time. But we have the benefit of the hindsight. And we also have the benefit of what? We have the benefit of temporary security, all right? I mean, I'm sorry, permanent security because we live, those of us who are Christians, in a time of salvation. Jesus' work has been done on the cross one time and for all of eternity. And if we've accepted that free gift of grace... If we've accepted that free gift of grace, then we are assured of our salvation. And that's awesome. That is an amazing thing. It is something we can rest in, something we can bank on, something we can hope in the New Testament way of hoping, of a confident expectation. But we also live in a time where we can look forward to something different. We can look forward to the second coming of Christ. Because, see, this was a, this is a big story here. And we talked about this big story um, all this past year. And we did that to be able to lead up to this time right now. To be able to lead up to what uh, you, you read about in Revelation. When God is going to come again. When Jesus Christ is going to come again. And we're going to be caught up in the air. And we can think about what these words do. So, mean. So, I, what I want you to do is just to open your bulletins. Just open them up. And there's a lot of space in there, as you can see. And I let that space open on purpose. Because what I want you to do is I want you just to write down these words, hope, peace, love, and And as this sermon goes along, I want the Holy Spirit, ask for the Holy Spirit to speak to you. And in fact, this entire week, ask for the Holy Spirit to to speak to you. And I want you to, I want you to feel, I want you to think about what these words mean. Because of who Jesus Christ is. For those of you who've got him in your hearts where the Holy Spirit also dwells, these words are going to mean one thing to you. For those of you who haven't already made that decision for Christ, they're probably going to mean something different. But what we hope is by the end of today, if you haven't already accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you will. And you will begin this journey that so many of your friends and neighbors who are sitting in here are already on. And this journey of discovery... That's only halfway done. And we're going to talk about that today. But I want to read something to you now. And I'm going to read it again at the end of the sermon. And hopefully the Holy Spirit will be speaking to you. And you'll understand it in a slightly different way. Or as an, in a fuller way. So here I'll read it now. In Christ's first coming, everything is connected with sin. In Christ's first coming, everything is connected with sin. He is lifted up to draw sinners to him. All the energy of the spirit and all the agencies of the gospel are employed to persuade sinners to accept the sin-bearing, 
sin-removing work of Christ. But he is coming a second time altogether apart from sin. Coming to deliver into everlasting security those who have believed in him. You see, the completeness of salvation is always looked upon in the New Testament as a thing yet to come. The completeness of salvation is always looked on in the New Testament as a thing yet to come. The promise is of immediate safety as far as it can be given our present circumstances. But in the fullest sense of the word salvation, we are saved, as Paul says, by hope. We are hoping for full possession of every good, full security from every evil. When Christ has taken away the sin of the world, he will take away the peril and the insecurity of the world. That's what we look forward to. And it's kind of like a book. How, how, how many of you out there have ever read a book? That's, that's really bad. Okay, how many of you out there have ever listened to a book? Or saw a movie about a book? There you go. Okay, okay, now everybody's kind of with me on this. All right, okay, we're all on the same page. We're tracking here, okay? We've got a common experience. We've all seen Harry Potter. Okay. <laughs> you haven't seen it? Neither have I. I haven't seen him either. So, anyway... we've all been in that place in our life where we've read a book that's been really exciting to us. And I remember what my favorite book was. And I remember reading it and I was all caught up in it and it was so cool in it and it sparked my imagination, all right? And then I read it again five years later and I loved it again still, but I loved it for a different reason. You see, I was at a different part of my life. It meant something different to me. And then I remember reading it, you know, just... Well, probably about two or three years ago. And again, something else in that book was important to me. Something else in that book I connected to. I liked about that book. And this is the way great books are. And indeed, if you do like I do and read the Bible every year, you'll find yourself at a different place in your life. And the stories in the Bible will mean something different to you. Not only that, because this is the word of God, God will highlight different parts of the Bible and different stories in the Bible and different themes in the Bible because he wants them to speak to you at that particular moment in your life. And when we look at these words, we look at the words hope, peace, love, and joy. Those things meant different things to the people who were in the Old Testament before Christ came. Indeed, they mean something different to us right now because we live on the other side of the cross. And we can think about, we can try to imagine what these words, hope, peace, love, and joy, are going to be like in the future. We can't understand it completely. And indeed, one day we're going to be the ones in heaven looking back on those people and going, ah, you should have saw it the whole time. But we're not going to be able to see that yet. So let's take a look. Let's take a look and see what these things meant to different people throughout different times. So many things in my pocket. Here we go. So, Let's look at Abraham. He says, now the Lord said to Abram, get out of your country from your family and from your father's house to a land that I will show you. I will make you a great nation. I will bless you and I'll make your name great and you shall be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and I will curse those who curse you. And in you, all families of the earth shall be a blessing. So you've got this hope going on right there. He's giving him hope. He's, he's telling him to do a very scary thing. He's telling him to go off. But he says, listen, I'm going to bless you. I, and not only that, I'm going to bless 
all the families of the earth through you. How is that going to work? He's not. He's got no clue. He's got no clue, right? But God has been faithful in some things. Abraham steps into that faith. He does it. He shoot, he, God shows that he's true, that God doesn't lie. And so he, he, he has a little bit more hope, and he, and he goes out in faith, and these things happen. But God had a different thing in mind when he was talking about hope, but Abraham couldn't see it. You know, and we continue, it continues to unfold throughout the Old Testament. People had hope. But what they didn't have is this New Testament hope, what we'll talk about in a second, which is this confident expectation. But he was slowly, God was slowly unfolding it to him. And he says to David, starting another covenant uh, uh, that he had with, also with Abraham. Now he has a covenant with, with David. And he says, the Lord declares to you that the Lord himself will establish a house for you. Now, what's he talking about here? You remember David had become king and he built this big palace for himself, made a cedar. And he looks around and the altar, the temple of God is still where? It's in a tent, right? So he's got this big palace and here's the temple of God in a tent. So David's like, I've got to build a permanent place for the temple. I mean, I feel kind of bad that God's out in the tent and I'm in here in this, this big Caesar, Caesar palace, Caesar's palace, I mean, this big cedar palace. And he says, I want to build it. And, and, and Nathan has a vision. And God tells Nathan, David's best friend, to say, Here, here's, what I want, here's what I want David to know. He says, I'm going to establish a house. Don't you worry about building a house. When your days are over and you rest with your ancestors, when you're dead, I'm going to raise up offspring to succeed you, your own flesh and blood, and I will establish his kingdom. Okay, that's pretty cool. He is the one who will build a house for my name. All right. One of my sons or one of my aunts or, you know, grandsons or whatever is going to build this big house for my name. And I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. Wow, that seems a little unlikely. I, 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 I hope that my son and maybe my grandsons will be kingdoms. But I know, I've, I know how history works. This idea that somebody from my family is going to be on the kingdom forever. Mm, I don't know how that's going to work. And it keeps going on, right? He says, and I will be his father. God says, I will be his father? And he will be my son. When he does wrong, I'll punish him with a rod wielded by men, with floggings inflicted by human hands. But my love will never be taken away from him as, as I took it away from Saul, whom I removed before you. Your house and your kingdom will endure forever before me. Your throne will be established forever. So Paul, I mean, David's starting to get an understanding that, okay, this isn't just about me. I... I I, I can't just hope that, I don't have just this hope, this confident expectation that somebody from my family is going to end up on the throne. I, there seems to be something else, something special going on here. So God is continuing to, under, uh, to unfold this story to the people in the Old Testament saying, have hope. There's somebody coming. There's something coming. There's a more permanent hope that's coming. Isaiah, we start to see it. For a child will be born to us. A son will be given. Aha. And the government will rest on his shoulders. And his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, and Prince of Peace. And that's what happens. Hope becomes a person. It's no longer something that we have in our minds that, you know, God gives us some assurance and we hope for a future that we don't really know. 
But one day, that future became a person. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone all around them. They were terrified. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all people. Today in the city of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is Christ the Lord, and this will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes lying in a manger. For thousands of years, they would hoped, they had hoped that this moment would come. They had hoped for the Messiah to deliver them, right? That's what they had hoped for. What they got wasn't exactly what they had hoped for. But nevertheless, this was the start of something amazing. Something that they could never wrap their minds up. Something they could have never imagined in their mind. In their mind, when the Messiah was going to come, he was going to come with six guns blazing. He was going to take down the Romans. He was going to establish the Jewish faith across the entire world. This was what the Messiah was going to be. He wasn't going to come in Bethlehem in a manger with, with with the livestock. But this is what Jesus did. He turned everything around. He changed the very essence of hope. When hope became a person, hope itself changed. And we find ourselves in the middle of this, just like those disciples before Christ went up to heaven. Remember after he came came back, to, he was resurrected from the dead. He says, after his suffering, it says in the book of John, he presented himself to them and he gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. And they gathered around him and they asked him, Lord, at this time are you going to restore the kingdom of Israel? He said to them, it's not for you to know the times and dates of the Father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. The Holy Spirit came. And he's saying, listen, I'm going to leave the Holy Spirit And he's going to dwell inside of you. And you are going to have a hope that you can get a hold of it at any time. And what do I want you to do with that hope? I want everybody to know about this hope. I want you to be my ministers. I want you to go out to the ends of the earth to spread hope. That's our job as Christians. Because hope is a person. And that hope is Jesus Christ. And then they said to him, after he said this, After he said this to the disciples, he said he was taken up before their very eyes and a cloud hid them from their sight. And and here the disciples are, they're looking up intently into the sky as he was going when suddenly two men, probably angels, dressed in white stood beside them. And he said, men of Galilee, why do you stand here looking into the sky? This same Jesus who has been taken from you into heaven will come back in the same way you have seen him go into heaven. He's coming back. And that's why we hope. And what does hope mean for us today? Through him, we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. And we boast in the hope of the glory of God. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Hope. So set your mind on things above, not Don't look up at things above. I don't want you standing around waiting for me to come back, but I want you to set your minds on the things above. 
not on these earthly things. For you died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. He is coming back. And he wants the entire world to have hope of that. Confident expectation that he is coming back. Do not let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. Because in the future, he's coming back and he says this, my father's house has many rooms. If that were not so, would I have told you that I'm going there to prepare a place for you? And if I go and I prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me so that you may be also where I am. You know the place where I am going. That's what we can hope for. God bless you. No more sneezing. No more crying. That's our hope. Amen. So what did peace look like? Peace was a lot different back in the Old Testament too. Really. I mean, it was sort of this conditional thing. He says, you will keep in perfected peace those whose minds are steadfast because they trust in you. All right. Peace was this sort of temporary thing. I think the best that they could hope for because of the way they behaved was that they wouldn't be taken into captivity again. But when they thought about peace... What they thought about is, geez, I, I hope my next meal's there. I hope the Romans don't come and take everything I own away. I hope I'm not taken into captivity and going to Babylonia and given a good name and made to go into a fiery furnace. I hope that's not happening. But it was always going to be a temporary thing. It was just one thing after another. Oh, I hope today's peaceful. That's what they hoped for in the Old Testament. But the prophet Isaiah was saying, nope. There's a more permanent peace coming, a peace that you cannot understand, a peace that surpasses understanding. And guess what? It's not a situational peace. It seems to be a peace that's predicated on one man, on a Messiah. He's going to be pierced for our transgressions, crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace is on him, and by his wounds we would be healed. That's the kind of peace that's coming. And it's the only kind of peace that's permanent. And he, as the son of God, is the only one who can give us that peace. And when he raises from the dead, peace becomes a man. And he says, all this I have spoken while still with you. But the advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I have said to you. Peace, he says, I leave you. My peace I give you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. I'm leaving you a permanent peace, a peace that you can have right now in your hearts. And I know this world can be tough. Sometimes we don't feel at peace. Trust me. I was, I'm getting ready for this sermon yesterday. And I'm thinking about, oh, we got to have these kids up here. And they got to sing a song. We're going to need a microphone. And we go, how are we going to fit them all up here? And then we got this big play, this thing we got to go on. Everybody's got to have mics. And there's got to be a guy who's got to have a sword. And hopefully he doesn't kill somebody with it. So let's make it plastic. And I'm thinking about all these things. And I'm going crazy. And I walk out of here and everything, I, I, I have no peace. No peace. 
And I get home and I drive through the snow and it's blizzard and I get home and I get in my house and I kick the snow off my feet and I go and I, I just lean my hands on my counter at home and my wife's not home yet so I can cry on her shoulder and then she comes home and the power goes out. But no, it turned out to be a great thing because I needed peace. And it was already living inside of me. I just needed to stop with all this earthly stuff. So we lit some candles and everybody came downstairs and I made a fire. And I said, I got to get into the word. I need I need some of this. I need the word, right? That's what I need. And so my nook, yeah, my nook, it's electronic. I don't need light to see. I opened it up. I, I, I went to First Peter and I started reading. And do you know what I was reading about? Peace. I didn't go looking for peace. Peace went looking for me. It found me. It said, shut up, sit down. I've got something to tell you. That's the kind of peace that you could all have right now. I know it's a crazy time of the year. I know that it's a tough time of the year for some people. Trust me, I've been there. I've been the, the, the single guy sitting in my apartment eating beans out of a can with my cat meowing at me. I know what that's like. I know. It's like a Dickens thing, right? I'm like, mm-hmm. And Christ knew it too. He says, I, I've told you these things so that in me, in me, you can have peace. In this world, you're going to have troubles. But take heart because you know why? Because I have overcome the world. And that's what we can look forward to in the future. All right. Paul says, For I am convinced that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor demons, nor the present, nor the future, nor any powers, neither height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. That's what we have to look forward in the future. Nothing will separate us from his peace. Never again will they hunger. Never again will they thirst. The sun will not beat down on them, nor any scorching heat. For the lamb at the center of the throne will be their shepherd. He will lead them to springs of living water. And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. That's the kind of peace we're going to have. The kind of peace where we don't have to worry about what we're going to eat. We don't have to worry about where our next meal is coming from. We don't have to worry about shelter, about, you know, how are we going to pay the rent? How are we going to pay our mortgage payment? How are we going to do these things? You know, it's cold outside. What are we going to do? What are we going to do for heat? We won't have to worry about that. We won't have to worry even about drinking because we will have living water. We will have access 24 hours a day to the person who is peace. We will be feeling peace at all times in the age to come. And because of that, we won't worry. We won't cry. We won't even sneeze. That's what we have to look forward to. But since we don't know when... Christ is coming back. Please pay your mortgage or your rent because I want you to have some peace come January 1st. Love is a little bit different. Love is a little bit different. Um, 
if you're looking at the Old Testament, um, and some people have said this. I'm not the first person to say this. It seems like it's a different God in the Old Testament and New Testament sometimes, doesn't it? You don't read a lot about love in the Old Testament. It doesn't seem, in fact, I'm doing, got my Bible software open and the Bible out. I'm looking, I'm trying to find examples uh, of love the, 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 in, inside of a scripture verse, the word itself in the Old Testament. And I'm coming up pretty dry. And I started thinking about it. And I said, well, yeah, but man, God showed his love over and over to the people of Israel, didn't he? From the very beginning, he, he promises them. And he promises Abraham. And then he promises Moses. And then he promises David. And he promises Solomon. And what do they do? They, for a while, they say, that's awesome, God. Thank you for this promise. We're going to live and we're going to love you. And what do they do? They turn around and they screw it up time and time and time again. Does he leave them? No. He loves them. No matter what they continue. How, it doesn't matter how bad they screw it up. And they screw it up really bad in the Old Testament. He continues to love them. But that love is, 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 is a situational thing. He loves them despite what they're doing. But what he wanted them to know was that they could feel love at any time. And so what did he have to do? He had to send his son. Dear friends, let us love one another for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God because God is love. And this is how God showed his love among us. (laughs) He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us and his love is made complete in us. His son, perfect son, came down into this world and took on the sins of the world because he loved us that much that he wanted us to spend eternity with us. But the only way to do that was to satisfy his wrath because that's who he is. He's a just God. And he was willing to take on the sins of the world. Every crummy thing we've ever done to ourselves, to each other, to our wives, to our spouses. He was willing to take all of that on himself in order to show us his love. He sent us his son. A part of himself. God is love. Jesus is love. The Holy Spirit is love. The love that now lives inside of us because of him, because of the work that he did on the cross. It's awesome. We have access to that. And we ought to show it to one another. Because in the future, no longer will there be any curse. The curse of sin is gone. The throne of God and of the Lamb will be in the city and his servants will serve him. And listen to this. They will see his face and his name will be on their foreheads. There will be no more light night. They will not need the light of a lamp or the light of the sun for the Lord God will give them light. And they will reign forever and ever. Remember, God is love. And one day, 
we will all dwell in the presence of love. We will be with where love comes from. That's where we're going to be. And we will serve him. And he will love us. Our names will be uh, on our forehead. His name will be on our forehead. That's where we'll be. We won't even need light. There'll be so much love that the place will just be lit up. I mean, we can't even understand it. We can't even imagine it. But that's what we have to look forward to. And that was the plan all along. He shepherded us through the Old Testament. And, and he puts up with us today. And he forgives us today. And he wants to live and he wants us to reign with him forever. You know, I was thinking about joy. And um, I'm lying in bed and I'm trying to think about joy, what it's going to be like in the future. And I'll just share this with you. And, I, and the Holy Spirit just started coming on me. And I'm lying in bed. And, and it's, 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 it's working up. It's, it, it's, I can feel my heart expanding. I'm starting to sweat. I'm starting to get a little crazy. And I'm like, oh gosh, where are you taking me with this, Lord? Oh, <laughs> and I'm starting to feel joy. And he gives me just a little taste of what it might have been like. And I'll tell you what, if I would have been standing up, I would have been knocked to the ground. Thankfully, I was already laying down. But that's the kind of joy that the future brings. But the goal of every Christian, and this is different. Joy is different than happiness because the the goal of every Christian isn't to be happy. The Bible never promises permanent happiness, but it does promise living a life full of joy. Nehemiah said, you know, and this is the Old Testament way of looking at it. He's gone, say, go enjoy, enjoy choice food and sweet drinks. Send some of those who have nothing prepared. This day is holy to our Lord. Do not grieve for the joy of the Lord is your strength. You know, that's awesome. But in the Old Testament, before Jesus came, joy meant one thing. Joy meant these temporary circumstances. Yay, let's dance. Let's have fun. We won a victory. This is good. We've had some, there was a good hunt. We have food. Let's have joy over it. But God says, that's not enough. That's not what I want you to have. I don't want you to have temporary joy. I want you to know a joy that you can't even hold on to. I want you to know a joy that fills you so much that it just, your face shines and people want to know you and, 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 and it just spreads and you can't help yourself but to talk about Jesus. That's the kind of joy I want you to know. And even that is not going to be enough to compare with what I'm going to give you in the future. A joy that you can't even imagine. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such great cloud of, cloud of witness, let us throw off everything that hinders us and the sin that easily entangles. And let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Look at that. I love this imagery, right? It says, let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Do you remember? You you guys have probably heard of this this, this runner's high that people get, right? Right? You remember that when you were a kid? You might have to think back a long time. (laughs) But do you remember when you could just run with abandon and your hair was flying and your heart was beating and you loved it? I know it's a long time. I haven't run anything but my mouth today. But, I mean, you could... You could run and you could love it. And that's the kind of race he wants us to run with such joy. 
And why shouldn't he? Why shouldn't we? Because we're, our, our faith, our hope, our joy, and everything is being perfected by the Holy Spirit which lives in us. I mean, look what Jesus did. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross. And what was that joy? What was Jesus' joy? It was you and me. He wanted so much. The, the thing that would bring God the most joy was to spend eternity with him in a new creation. And you know what that's going to be like? If you look back to Genesis, if you look back to the first parts of Genesis, it's amazing. You've got God and you've got Adam and it's in the Garden of Eden and everything's perfect. And every, I mean, you're walking down a path. You don't even stub your toe. It doesn't even hurt. Everything is just awesome. And who are you spending the afternoon with? God, right? He says here, he goes, Adam and God, we're taking walks in the afternoon. How awesome is that? But that's the way it's supposed to be. And that's the way it's going to be. Yes, it's true. One day Christ is coming back and we are going to know a joy that surpasses all understanding. We are going to have a new creation. The entire, all this stuff is going to be stripped away. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. He says, but I'll see you again and you will rejoice and no one will take away your joy. We'll wipe away the tears from your eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away. This earth, this place we live in now with all this sin and this pain and sometimes joy, it's going away. We're going back to the Garden of Eden. There's going to be a new creation He's coming back. He made that promise. This is the same God who, who, who's been unfolding this story for us for thousands of years. This is the same God who came back from the dead. This is the same God who took the, the pain, the sins of this world onto himself. This is the same God that if you're a Christian right now, this is the same God, the Holy Spirit, who lives inside of you, who makes himself known to you all the time, who gives you access to the Father if you will take it. That strength, that joy, that peace, that love, all that is accessible to you right now. If you're not a Christian, it's not. But we want you to have it. God wants you to have it. Because that's why he endured the cross. So that you could have it. We're going to stand up now. Come on down. Take communion. Grab the cup and the bread and then go back. And remain standing, please. I'm going to reread that passage I read to you guys earlier today, and I want you to think about it as you're coming up and going back to your seats. The writer says, In Christ's first coming, everything is connected with sin. 
He is lifted up to draw sinners to him. All the energy of the spirit and all the agencies of the gospel are employed to persuade sinners to accept the sin-bearing, sin-removing work of Christ. But he is coming a second time, altogether apart from sin, coming to deliver into everlasting security those who believe in him. The completeness of salvation is always looked upon in the New Testament as a thing yet to come. The promise of immediate safety, as far as it can be given, are, is, uh, that, that's what the promise that we have now. But in the fullest sense of the word, in the fullest sense of the word, salvation, we are saved, as Paul says, by hope. We are hoping for full possession of every good, full security from every evil, When Christ has taken away the sin of the world, he will take away the peril and the insecurity of the world. Jesus was arrested. We know this how it goes. He gathered the disciples together. They might have had some idea of what was going on. They, they could probably sense something in Jesus, something that was final. And he gathered them around um, a table. There was probably some couches there and they were laying around. And he reaches over and at some point the meal and, and takes a piece of bread and he holds the bread up. And they're looking at him, wondering what he's going to say. And Jesus says, you see this? Yes, Lord, we see this. This is my body. I give this for you. Probably not understanding. He reaches over and likewise, he takes the cup of wine. And he holds it up and he says this. When you drink this, think of me. Think about me. Okay. He says, this is my blood, which I shed for you. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, want us all to experience these things, the glory of your kingdom firsthand. But we know that the only way that we can do that, Lord, is, is, is by accepting you, accepting this free gift that you give us that you want us so badly to have. And Lord, for those people who are out in, out in the crowd right now and who haven't made that, haven't made that decision for you yet, Lord, bring them Bring them home. And if you're out there right now, I just want you to keep your heads bowed and you want to make that decision for Christ right now. I don't want you to, I don't want to embarrass you. But if that's you, if you feel the Holy Spirit moving you and you know you want to experience what God has to give you, I just want you to raise your hand. That's all you got to do. Say, God, I want to experience that. I want that in my life. Yes, I see that. Thank you. 
We thank you, our seat, and I thank you. God bless. That's amazing. Thank you so much. And if you don't make that decision today, but you feel that God is working in your heart, and you know, or if you don't know, I'm going to tell you that he is not going to let you go. Lord, please don't let them go. Don't let them walk out that door without making that commitment to you. Lord, we thank you. We thank you for the gift of grace. We thank you for the gift of your son that we celebrate this time of the year. We ask for your blessing in your holy name. Amen.
to honor Him. Here we Amen. See you guys Saturday.